0: Welcome, everyone, to the very first week of Australian Survivor Blood versus Water. What a massive week. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about the first three episodes. So if you haven't seen them yet, there will be massive spoilers. So jump off and make sure you watch them right now. Let's get straight into it, though. There's so much to talk about. Uh, Haley, let's start with you. Who is your stand-up player of the week?
1: It has been an awesome week of Australian Survivor. I have really gravitated towards Nina this week. She has given me everything that I really wanted from her being Sandra's protege. I was really impressed by the little subtle ways that she was able to move a vote when it didn't suit her. It didn't look like on the ground she was the one that was pushing it. She got someone else to throw out the name and I've really enjoyed her calm approach. So for me, it has been Princess Nina.
2: For me, I have to agree with Haley. It's hard to go past Nina. I definitely agree with her deferring the credit and not being able to trace the big move back to her. I also completely agree with the move uh, in terms of it not becoming a strength-based pathway that might not work out for her. And it's honestly just a little bit disrespectful as the daughter of Sandra. And in terms of deferring credit, you really have to look at her language, saying things like, I'm not against it, or I'm leaning that way. It was a really soft way to approach the game and to speak. And I think that not coming in really hard allowed her to make a big move in a really soft way. So there's definite attention to detail there. So I'm fascinated by Princess Nina. She's incredible. And her partnership with Mark, who I think has also been amazing in making connections and hanging back. I wonder if there's a bit of a military connection because Nina's dad is career military, maybe a bit of a father figure role there from Mark. So they as a duo are really impressing me right now.
3: I've been most impressed with Sam Gash on the Blood Tribe. She started the week like a little mouse. She's learnt the lessons of what went wrong in Season 2 in Samoa. She's built relationships. And at that tribal council, she asserted complete control. When she sensed threat from Dave, she got up and she eliminated it as quickly as possible. But she had a plan A. She had a plan B in Katie who went home and she even had a plan C with that one vote in Sandra. Sam Gash is my man of the match from week one. Just want to give a special shout out to Chrissy as well. She is so out of her element when she's talking about needing Botox and filler and tan lines coming off. But she's come out there. She's snatched an idol from what looks like the fittest woman to have ever played Australian Survivor at the last minute. She's played an idol. She's eliminated her threat level by her great social game. She's funny. She deserves a bit of credit, and I'm interested to see how she progresses throughout the game.
0: Yeah, that was a pretty interesting moment with the idol snatch there. What was your favorite moment from the week, Shannon? What stood out moment-wise?
2: I think that there's a couple to me and they both have to do with Sandra. I mean, Sandra coming off the helicopter, I had actual goosebumps on my arm and there was a lot of lines thrown in from Sandra's time on the show that I thought were really fun and hark back, maybe even accidentally to the history. But as someone who loves the culture of Survivor, that was just epic for me. And then also Sandra just making it through. My heart was racing. I was willing to defect from Australia if they got rid of her in the first tribal council, but she made it through and I couldn't be happier about it.
0: Hayley, was there anything you loved in particular? Anything that just jumped out at you and thought, wow, we are in for a game here?
1: Yeah, for me, it's just tribal council. Like that feeling of being in tribal and the stress everyone is under, especially for the first vote. And we saw both tribes go through their first vote. It is really this anyone but me mentality that, you know, Sandra is so famous for. But the third episode when we saw, as George has mentioned, Sam get up, David, throw out Sam's name. She flipped the vote. That was really exciting. I didn't know what was going to happen. We all knew Dave had that idol that he might use. Just the tension in tribal and just the elevation of everyone's fear of not going home. I really enjoyed this week.
3: Yeah, I completely agree with you, Hayley. When Sam got up at that tribal council, I was just screaming at my TV screen. I wish I had the courage to do something like that. She's the smallest contestant out there but boy, does she have a big heart. That took courage, that took steel and determination and she got it done and she turned that vote around and it was so impressive.
1: I know my first tribal counsellor, I was just trying not to look JLP in the eye. I didn't want to be asked a single question. So to her, I had to have the bravery to do that. Maybe, you know, it speaks to her being a returnee player and to being, you know, someone who is fearless.
0: Can you guys shed a little bit of light? what it's like at that very first Tribal Council. Obviously, you've got plans how you're going to play the game, but once you get there, you're at the fire for the first time. It must be pretty nerve-wracking.
1: It is so nerve-wracking. You know, you don't want to be the first boot. You've, you've spent so much time dreaming about this moment and trying to get there that, like, just trying to keep a low profile and be out of the numbers is the you know, aim at the start. But, you know, you, don't, you barely remember everybody's name So to be trying to orchestrate votes when people are in the first tribal council, orchestrating votes and moving them around, it's pretty impressive um, considering the kind of pressure you're under in that moment.
3: I think it's important to assert control early on. And that's what Sam did at that tribal council. But if we also look at the two tribal councils we got from the Water Tribe, there is a group that has formed. Yes, Princess Nina is in charge behind the scenes, and it's really impressive what she's done. But credit to Mark Wales as well. He is such a big unit. He's literally an army hero, a war veteran that wants to take leadership on more than anything else. But he's made his threat level decrease. He's determined targets. And then we've seen threats go, returning players gone. And then Brianna, who's extremely social, she's gone as well.
2: I think with Mark as well is that he has some wiggle room and that they really do need him physically. But the problem with just being needed is that the second that it doesn't work for them, if there's, you know, a merge coming up, that they will cut him. But what he's done is it's not just that he's needed. They also really like him and want to work with him. So he's made himself really central on that tribe. So it was really a tale of two halves with the returnees on the theme this week, because I think Sandra getting through was really impressive and her daughter, Nina, learning from her to do amazing stuff. I think both Mark and Sam had really impressive moments and were controlling parts of their tribe then unfortunately, it didn't go well for Andy. So you really see those extremes from returning, take another shot at it.
0: Yeah, I think Mark is definitely going to be one to watch. He's such an observant player as well. And he's got an ability to sort of switch gears as well. Now, we saw this time around, the whole environment, the location that this is being shot is quite different to the one that You guys were in, Hayley and George. What were your first reactions and how do you think those differences are going to play out? First thing that I noticed was there
3: was a lot more running water at this location in Queensland. Concurry was really dusty. It really got literally stuck in your skin. But the conditions are harsh. It's more tropical, it's hotter, it's more exhausting. And when people are tired, they make mistakes. What's going to separate the good survivor players from the bad ones? is who can cope with the conditions but also cope with the pressure of the game and make the moves that count at the right time.
1: Yeah, um, I agree with George. It does look hotter than where we were, even though we were really boiling hot in Concurry. It looks very dry. They've got a lot of rocky surfaces everywhere, which isn't great when you're trying to find somewhere comfortable to sleep. But they do have this kind of running water. We had a stagnant pool of water. So that's great if you're trying to make sure you actually feel clean or you're trying to find a fish in the water, it would be great to have a running stream of water.
0: How much do those conditions, the the heat and the dryness, and sometimes when there's a lot of rain at night, how much do they just wear you down week after week? I think straight off the bat. I mean, if you don't have fire, you don't have food,
3: James. And the water tribe, they didn't get that reward straight away. They would have not had anything in their bellies for at least three days and then they come out to challenges and then they keep losing. It's tough and what makes it tough is when the tropical heat in outback Queensland completely dehydrates you and you're covered in dirt and you've had two hours sleep but you've got to persevere through it. It's survivor. It's not a holiday camp. You're not getting a suntan. You've got to do what needs to get done and just focus on the game.
1: Yeah if you're if you're tired and your the conditions are not good you've not slept it gets to your ability to think and to think well and long term so you might make bad decisions about what is the best interest for your game or you might not have the energy to run around corralling the vote so it lands in a place that suits you best so the conditions do wipe people out we saw it in our season where people just didn't have the energy to leave the shelter so they weren't able to run around and try to put votes in the right place and so you just yeah it it is a big part of the game
0: speaking of the heat some of the outfits that were worn maybe weren't the most appropriate for hot conditions like that we saw a few pairs of jeans in there in particular during the water challenge what were your thoughts on that and and What's the best outfit to wear? I mean, it seems such a trivial thing, but at the same time, does it make an impact, George, on what you're wearing or what the contestants are wearing?
3: I think I took the worst wardrobe in Australian Survivor history, a Hawaiian dog shirt and just several button-up shirts that were wafer thin. But, look, denim, will it dry quickly? No, but it probably keeps you warm on those really cold nights.
1: I think this week Chrissy has taught us that Survivor is all about outlast, outfit, and outside, so some of these people have got the outfit part, right? <laughs> um, and others, well, time will tell. You can tell the returning players have done this before. They've sat around for years thinking about what they could have worn differently. Sam Gash has done an excellent job of putting together an outfit that layers a, a sarong around her neck as a scarf. I'm jealous, that was a great idea. Her wrists are full of scrunchies, her hair's got a clip in it. All that stuff is really important because once you're out of hair ties, you're in a lot of trouble. Although I did love um, that we saw Geordie wearing those overalls and nothing else like what? I wouldn't really think denim was a fabulous idea normally, especially not in Fiji where it rains a lot and you need things to dry. But in Australia, it is hot in the day and it does dry if it rains. So I don't know if denim is a terrible idea. As George said, it will keep you warm at night, which is really important. And we ended up being very close to that fire with embers falling on us in the middle of the night. And
2: I think denim might be a little bit fire retardant. So who knows? Maybe it was a good idea. I don't know why Geordie was surprised that his overalls didn't fully survive the slide. I was like, that looks extremely painful. (laughs) Like You should not be wearing that on the slide. But I think it's really interesting with outfit from a TV perspective, how there's like a pantheon of iconic outfit items and you could just give an item of clothing and know the player that's connected to like tie-dye shirt has always been Rupert, for example, Boston Rob's little bee hat, Russell's hat that Sandra famously burned. And I do think that for someone like Andy, even for just being in the show for just one episode this season, bringing back the visor, you know, Andy and visor are two words that are synonymous now. So just as a brand building exercise, I think it really made the mark. And I think Andy's visor will be probably the clothing item that I remember most from this whole season, despite just being in the one episode. So I think that that was a really good outfit choice.
0: I'm just glad we didn't get a wardrobe malfunction with Khan on that reward challenge. Yeah, that could have been awkward. And he's working on his uh, range of merch now, hopefully, to uh, supplement his early exit. Uh, let's talk about rewards. How important are they? And how important are the ones that have already been won? I want to talk specifically, though, about how you use a reward. We saw the Blue Tribe decided to there's um there's pros and cons to different approaches aren't there shannon
2: yeah i mean i really like this element of blood versus water and offering the choice because i think it shows some of the psychological elements that make the theme really really interesting and i think it'll continue to become more and more interesting because at the moment it's easy to arrive at a consensus that you all want your loved ones to be comfortable on the other side so you can give up a you know hard-earned reward and, and those rewards are extremely difficult it looks like to earn but as the game moves on, people will lose their loved ones on the other side and they'll want revenge. They'll be angry and they'll be way more reticent to help out people who voted out their loved ones when there's no one they care about on the other side. It might become more of an interesting debate. So I think offering this choice is always really, really fun to give the contestants. And I think it could become more contentious as well.
3: I'm really glad that the contestants are clued on this here that there's always an advantage in a reward. And what we saw is that was the final nail in Brianna's coffin. She went out, got that tackle box and was looking for an advantage or an idol that wasn't there that time. But look, at the end of the day, the rewards, they're good. They can help you. The comfort items are great, particularly to get an extra hour or so sleep at night. But you've got to focus on the game. And what impressed me was Khan. When Khan was with David at the Survivor Handy Store, he wanted to trade information for a reward. Can you what's important in the game of survivor? Information, not
0: beef jerky. Yeah, it's not always about the jerky or the actual comfort item, but throughout your series, Haley, were there times when you had a choice to utilize a reward or bring someone closer, or whether excluding someone from a reward would come back to bite you?
1: Yeah, um, the decisions you have to make about taking people and rewards can be very strategic. Early in our season, the Braun got a chance to take someone they took joey that really elevated his threat level in the same way that we might see the fact that khan was taken can be a negative for khan if everyone starts seeing khan as this leader that you don't want to be this early on and if you're having to make decisions about taking a smaller group we might then see that the alliance has become very clear that you're taking your friends and even if you're not that's the perception and perception can be reality in a game like this. So you have to be really smart about the decisions you make and who you take on a reward.
0: Yeah, even the smallest things can become very, very big very quickly. We need to talk about Andy. George, what are your thoughts on Andy? I mean, he thinks he had a little bit of a plan there.
3: It was tough watching Andy in that first episode. I mean, as a returning player, he really should have known better. And he said he wanted to have a strategy and he was like Mike Tyson His strategy was more like a Lada, the old Soviet car. You can go from A to B, but the car crash is inevitable. I mean, Andy went out there and he barked instructions. You have Mark Wales, a literal war hero, one of the biggest men in Australia, lying down next to the girls and listening and being told what to do by Andy as he's just painting a target on his back. When you're out there, On night one and night two, you're looking for any excuse to vote someone off. And that's what Nina did. She saw a threat in a returning player who could go on individual immunity runs later on in the game, someone that had rubbed people the wrong way with no advantage to protect themselves. And then someone that went out there and said, let's just pick out the weak, injured person. That's not a strategy, that's complacency. And when you're complacent in Survivor, you're out.
2: Yeah, I think Andy went in definitely wanting to play a different game and thinking that he wouldn't really exert his will as much and listen more to people. And and he chose something that could make sense communally to the group to keep the tribe strong. There's a lot of merit to that idea in Australian Survivor that is extremely strength-based with the challenges. But the thing is not everyone is always going to want to keep the tribe strong because they might not consider themselves as strong. They might see themselves as on the chopping block if that were to be the strategy of the tribe. So A lot of people are going to want to flip that around. And I also think Alex's likability must be off the charts. People were falling over themselves to save him from going home from this injury. So Andy was saying things at Tribal about how people know that there's a vote to be made, but that really isn't how anyone felt. So while I think his intentions were good, unfortunately, he still wasn't reading the room to see that that individually, even if it might make sense for a tribe, wasn't making sense for a lot of the players on the tribe. And they pushed back against that against him.
1: Yeah, look, I have to agree with the other two. It's great to have another chance to play, but Andy last time showed that he could be a strategic player. And on his way out, you know, he showed that he might be a bit untrustworthy. So these are the two things he had to come in and change everyone's mind about immediately. It was the social element for him that mattered the most. He never had to worry about strategy or physical stuff and the challenges. So really his entry should have been all about how do I get people to trust me? And kind of throwing names out at the start is, is never a good way to do it. So I, unfortunately, I think he fell victim to a few like survival 101 ways to enter a game. Don't take the leadership role. Don't tell people what to do. Just lay back and really work on those connections. So unfortunately, um, yeah, it was the end for Andy too soon in this season.
0: Hayley, you talked about trust there. Do you think the way that he left the game in season four made him a bit of a target in the sense that people felt he was untrustworthy from the get-go?
1: Yeah, I think you have to enter this game assuming that people have done their research and they've watched some Australian Survivor. So they knew the way he had played before. So his, his way coming in really is to rectify that, to demonstrate that he is different because trust matters so much. And they've only had a few days They don't have much to go on. And they're definitely going to take anything that they've learnt before about how someone has played. So yeah, he really wasn't a back foot in that regard. And he had to prove people wrong and he didn't manage to do it.
3: I think what's interesting is what you said, Shannon, not everybody values strength on a survivor tribe, particularly at the outset. So we have Nina who turned this operation around with her go-tos in Mark and in Jordy. So what Nina is, is not physical, but she is Sandra's protege. Sandra's not physical. So if they go down that physical route, that puts Nina pretty low in the pecking order. And when you've got a very visible and willing target in Andy, of course, you're going to strike when the opportunity presents itself. And someone like Mark, he's laughing. He's laughing in the background. A returning player is gone. A challenge threat is gone. And he still has the weaker players around him to pick off if they need to including injured alex
2: and in terms of tribe physicality like say they swap and nina and sandra are on the same tribe and nina has been endorsing a, a strength-based uh, pathway well then that doesn't look very good for sandra and she's been part of that so it's not something that she can ever go with and it's something that it, it seems to make logical sense it's one of the beauties of survivor where it seems to make so much sense of course you keep the tribe strong especially when, when you're against a tribe like champions or brawn as you guys found out but as george saw in his first tribal council that wasn't something that he felt would benefit his own individual game and it is an individual game so you have to understand that there's going to be a group of individuals who don't agree with that and who aren't going to go with it so for andy i feel like he needed to be radically different he's starting with this deficit of his reputation a reputation that preceded him so hard that it hit kate on the other beach and i think she suffered for it as well so I think you have to kind of disarm people with how opposite you are to what they think, not even minimally lean into ideas that they could have about you and prove them right in that. And I think that it, was, it needed to be a harder push, something like what Mark is doing against what they might've thought about him.
0: Now, apart from Andy getting his torch snuffed at to that first tribal, another big moment at that tribal council was Brianna taking a bit of a, a swing at Chrissy, throwing her under the bus. How big a moment was that? And how big of a mistake was it?
1: Yeah, when she did that, I was like, no, (laughs) like don't make an enemy out of someone, especially someone you don't need to make an enemy out of because, you know, Chrissy has an idol. You just seen her take it. You know, there's, she's going to be at camp tomorrow. If you're there, she will be there. So you don't need to make an unnecessary enemy in this moment. I didn't see any reason how that would benefit Browner at all. Yeah, it was, a, it was a faux pas, a social survivor faux pas.
3: See, I have no issue with divide and conquer, but she just divided and did nothing else. What was the benefit of her attacking Chrissy? I mean, Chrissy is someone that would be a potential target if you sat down, kept your lips closed, and then they went down a path of weakness at future tribal councils. She needed to do nothing. She put a target on her back and it cost her at the very next tribal council.
0: And now in episode three, we see the red tribe go to trouble for the first time and there was some serious fireworks there. David's paranoia got the best of him. What were your reactions there, Shannon, when he tried to throw Sam under the bus as some sort of retaliation, I guess?
2: I did feel a little bit indignant on Sam's behalf because we just watched her politic for him the entire day. And I think as well, it showed Sam's influence. I mean, it really seems by the good of her own will that everyone turned away from the David vote earlier in the day and then turned back on him uh, at Tribal Council. So I think we're really seeing Sam's power here. She came out and she was in ways the Sam we know. She's going to be out there. She's going to be dominant. She's like a force to be reckoned with. But I think this time around, it's a lot more positive. And, And even though I don't love sparring with people at Tribal Council, That may not have really been her fault. And also she's doing it in really positive ways where he's apologizing to her. He's clearly in the wrong and everyone is very much on her side. People are saying that they love her and feel very upset for her. So that just shows the strength of her social relationships. And I think he's absolutely the power player on Blood right now.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, uh, That was an amazing episode for Sam, being able to corral all those votes in real time. It made me think, like, is it really worth going to bat for someone On day, whatever it is, on your first tribal council, no one's voted yet. You don't really know where the alliances lie. So, for her to like spend all that time at camp trying to get votes off him, only for him to throw it back in her face, kind of just proves you don't really know people yet. It's so early in the game. So, it is a bit of a tough thing to, to really put yourself out there to save someone. As we can see, it might not be worth it.
3: Sam Gash didn't come to play, she came to slay. And I just felt such Pleasure in watching her get up there and turn it around on the piece of a dime because she sensed a threat level. Yeah, she went into back, Dave, but she realized she made a mistake earlier on back at camp and she turned it around. You have to get the axe and you have to swing when you take the chance. But she had a backup plan. She put that one vote on Sandra just in case Katie. Had an idol. If she did, Sandra would have gotten home. But what will impress me even more is if she blames Dave for voting for Sandra. That would take it to the next level.
2: Yeah, because there's some worry in the fact that Sandra is still in the game and Sam had been coming for her all day and then put a vote on her. But I do think as well, like Sam has so much more power in that situation, even though you should always be scared of Sandra. But I do think as well, just, just seeing how well Sam and Mark are doing individually on their different tribes makes you wonder what kind of prep was going on in that marriage for both of them to come out so hot out of the gate and be doing so well.
1: Yeah, I think, George, that's such an interesting idea that you could blame it on Dave because it's kind of foolproof. That vote on Sandra, Sam could just say, well, that must have been Kate who's gone home now. She can't defend herself. She's not here. Or she could try to throw it on Dave. So there's a lot of um, fun stuff she can play with when she comes back.
3: And you don't want to make Sandra angry, and she will be when she gets back to camp. (laughs)
0: Yes, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Obviously, she's played the game several times, so she's already, I'm sure, on that walk back to camp, analyzing exactly who's done what in her uh, calculations. Now, Alex was injured in episode one, but he makes it through two tribals in spite of this. How would you guys have played that? Would you have tried to get rid of him knowing that he may not be able to contribute for the next few challenges?
1: You know, it's kind of good. They actually have a chiropractor on on the ground there. So you can get a bit of medical advice about how bad is this? And as someone who works in pain, I'm really happy to see that he's still there. He's up and he's moving and he's not out of the game just because he's had some back pain because you don't need to take that lying down. So I'm happy that they've kept him in. I think that they have really thought cleverly about what matters most at this point. And it is cohesion, because if you're going to go towards a tribe swap and you want to get everyone together at merge, you need to have the bonds. They matter so much right now. So if they saw something in Alex as a loyal, trustworthy, good person, then, you know, they're smart to keep him around.
3: See, I kind of look at Alex like a buffer. Why would you get rid of him now? If his injury is so bad, he'll just be medivac And if he's not medevaced, you've got the perfect excuse to get rid of him next time. You've got to be able to think several moves ahead. And by keeping Alex, you've got someone at your knees who you could cut at any time because they're injured. But you don't need to do it now. And that's how you get further ahead in the game.
2: I do think what often doesn't translate through the screen is just like sheer likability out there. Although I do think Alex is coming across as very likable. And I was like, please save this poor kid. But just how much people were trying to save him, multiple people talked about maybe using an idol on him. I do think that that connection, firstly, he seems okay now. And also that connection, it's going to be 40 something more days. Like, do you want to play with someone that can be an act of detriment to your game who you don't vibe with? Or someone who, yes, might not be able to contribute in the challenges and that's something you could deal with if you lose those challenges continuously because of them. But if he rallies, is a connection that you want to keep for the next several weeks. So I think it's pretty telling that people early on especially, really will vote on that connection and try to keep them around as long as possible if they really like them.
0: In a situation like that, Haley, how important is it to try and express to Alex, whether it's true or not, that you knew he was vulnerable, that you fought to keep him around? Did those sort of vows play out later in terms of forging a bit of loyalty to people who, you know, owe you their lives, basically?
1: Well, from my experience, not always. (laughs) Um, I put my neck out there to save my season. And it didn't actually work out like um, a few votes down the track, that person. So Alex might decide a few votes later, that even though you tried to save him, it's in his best interest for you to go home. And he's totally justified in making that decision. So it depends on the person and the moment. It depends on how indebted they feel. So in this situation, a lot of people were going to be helping out Alex by keeping him there. So he doesn't really owe one person in particular. So he might not really feel like he needs to um, have their back necessarily, as opposed to someone playing an idol for you or something. But yeah, I don't actually think that it will necessarily hold a lot of weight going forward in Alex's mind.
2: Yeah, Hayley played an idol and saved Laura. And within that very same week of the show, Laura had voted her out. So I think that Hayley knows better than most people that, uh, yeah, there are no favours in Survivor and people have a very short memory in how you help them out.
0: So Alex was super vulnerable there and managed to dodge a couple of tribal councils. Who would you guys have sent home this week? Who do you think you would have picked off if you were there at tribal?
1: Look, this early in the game, I'm not going to bat for anyone. I'm still getting to know people and figuring out where I sit. So as long as the target isn't coming on me, I'll let the chips fall as they may. So uh, if everyone wanted Andy out, it would have been Andy. And I wouldn't have been playing an idol to try to save, um, to save anyone else. So I think it probably would have landed just the way it did.
3: I kind of agree with the move to get rid of Andy, but my natural instinct is to target the under the radar players. I don't let people hide under the shadows and then try and excel at the later stage of the game. So if I was on the water tribe, I probably would have tried to target someone like Geordie, someone who would sneak through at the early stage of the game without ever having a target on their back because they're physical, they're an asset at challenges, they're generally likable, and then they go on a run get rid of that kind of person at the start where you still have the chance. But the issue that you'd have is you've got to have six votes to be a majority and it's not easy to get.
2: I think Geordie seems really socially well integrated with Mark and with Nina seem to be in a lot of those primary conversations. So I think that he's saving himself with his own social game and just being a really key member socially of the tribe. But for me, I would have been uh, exactly like Nina fighting against the mentality of tribe strength because if that were the mentality, then I would be first boot. So that's what I would go with.
0: Uh, for those people who might be a little bit confused, David played his half idol. Uh, what does that mean for Khan?
2: Yeah, I mean, David played a full idol as we know idols to be. So for Khan, he still has his idol and that he could play at any time. It just means that they can't be combined into a super idol.
0: You're right. Well, we'll talk about super idols a little bit later on in our world of Survivor with Shannon. That's still to come on Australian Survivor Talking Tribal. Plus, we discuss the hidden immunity idols that were recovered this week, how the theme of blood versus water is playing out and just what impact it might have further down the track, and as well as that Hayley chats with one of our eliminated contestants. All that when we come back on Australian Survivor Talking Tribal. Time now for our segment of World of Survivor with Shannon, where we deep dive into a particular element of Survivor. This week we're talking hidden immunity idols, a really integral part of the gameplay. Shannon, let's talk about idols and also idol clues. This week we saw an idol exposed in a way that made players compete in front of each other in a way we haven't really seen before.
2: I think hiding two clues on the same beach to get people to fight over it is really novel, but we have seen people fight in different ways. Multiple people can see a clue and also there can be verbal clues. Jonathan famously at a challenge last season was like, there's an idol at this challenge and two people on this very panel were there fighting for that idol. So they can probably speak to what it's like to be battling each other physically for an idol. (laughs) I can totally relate to that
1: feeling of running and trying to snatch an idol the adrenaline, um, knowing that you've already exposed yourself by doing it. And that's kind of threatening. So you need to get it. So um, I felt quite bad for Shay when she wasn't able to get it. Although she probably came off less bad than Brianna did by blocking Chrissy. I don't think she really appreciated that.
3: It's like, what does Brianna get out of blocking Chrissy? Either Shay or Chrissy is going to get it. But by Brianna blocking Chrissy, it just puts such unnecessary ill will on you when you get back to camp but an idol is a blessing and it's a curse you know Haley, you felt the pressure of the idol so you weaponized it to your advantage because you're a very very good player but the longer you dwell on it the longer you have the chance to get targeted and I'm scared that that's going to happen to
0: Shay. as you mentioned George sometimes you hold on to it too long and it you know becomes a bit of an albatross on your neck as you become such a super target. but so Hayley, can we get you to share a little bit more about that, that idea of when you've got an idol, people know you've got an idol, but instead of it just putting a target on your back, you can use it as a bit of swagger?
1: Yeah. Once you've got an idol and everybody knows you have it, it takes some wind out of its wings. Like, The most ideal dream scenario is that no one knows and you
2: get to play it surreptitiously, but... It's meant to be a hidden immunity idol. That's the point. It's built into the name. So when it's not hidden, that definitely adds some more complicated layers.
1: That's so true. Yeah. So you want it to be hidden. If it's not, then you have a few options. You do either try to weaponize it or you try to just get rid of it if it is making your threat level too big. But you know, there is something to be said that George mentioned. Like when everyone knows you have an idol and you just keep saying, well, I'm going to play it. Like I just want to get rid of it then why would they put the votes on you it's really hard to get enough votes and be confident enough that you can split them properly to do that so if you keep bluffing that you're going to play it for a while it might work but um you've got to just be careful but they'll call you on that bluff at some point
0: now a twist on the traditional hidden immunity idol is of course the super idol shannon how rare are they and what power does that give you in the game
2: So this Super Idol is as it's been come to be known in U.S. Modern Survivor, which is that uh, usually with idols you play them before the votes are read. So you don't know if you had the most votes, you could waste one, for example, as Chrissy did. The Super Idol, as this is being described, is that you play it after the votes are read. So you know that you've been voted out, there's no way to waste it, and you're just like, nope, I'm staying in the game. So when idols were first introduced in U.S. Survivor, it was season 11, For one season, they were like a immunity necklace. You played it before the votes were cast and no votes could be cast for you. Then for two seasons, it was like the super idol that we know now and it was way too powerful because that's that's like a get out of jail free card. So you've been voted out of the game and you're like, I'm coming back and there's no way for you to play that incorrectly. It was then at season 14 and the idol that we now know, um, which is played in this order of operations came to be and that's the perfect spot for the idol to be. Then the super idol, a special idol came in again in Kagayan, season 28. And then in season 32, we saw exactly this mechanism, which is that if two people had a normal idol, they could combine it into a super idol, uh, which is what we see here this season and, and probably where that was taken from. But as you'll see with shared idols, shared super idols, and also just shared idols that they've had in like season 38 in the US, that can be really, really difficult. And it is such a fun twist because even if David hadn't played his idol and that was still an option, Khan and David seemed to have like quite a negative relationship. It felt like Khan had some walls up because he just voted out David's daughter. And David seemed to kind of respond with an adversarial reaction to that by not giving any of the rewards and any of the outs for Khan to come back to camp with. So we could have a lot of fun with people playing, uh, trying to play shared idols and screwing each other over because they don't have the same vision for that idol. And we've certainly seen that come to very tragic and shocking exits for some people.
0: In F2, we see Shay find an immunity idol. But George, it looked like for a moment there, maybe someone other than her was going to get the idol. Yeah, that idol hunt at the water camp was really
3: exciting. I mean, Khan rallied the troops, went over there, and he really deserves the title of King Khan right now. He helped Shay grab it. He could have kept it for himself and burnt every single bridge on that tribe, but he gave it to Shay and he convinced her not to save Brianna. That was a masterclass by Khan that deserves the star sticker that he was for episode two. But it was an exciting way to find an immunity idol with a giant metal rod.
2: I do think as well, there was a lot of logic to Shay not saving her ally in Brianna. I, I usually go for ally versus idol. I usually choose ally as I did, for example, George, when you save Kara. But I think this early in the game, Brianna uh, was kind of a weight that was dragging Shay down. And she was aware of the fact that she had her own social options, people wanted to work with her. She has been on the other side, possibly getting options for her there. And to tie yourself so strongly and use an idol on someone, even with a group that could split on you, it could send you home. Either way, it's definitely going to annoy people who all want to vote out this person that you are individually saving. So I thought Khan did a great job in bringing Shay in, but I think Shay responded to that with logic, voting for Brianna and getting her foot in the door for this alliance rather than clinging to, yes, an ally, but an ally at this point that was becoming a detriment to her game.
3: See, there was a missed opportunity to just get rid of that idol by splitting the vote between Shay and Brianna. Mark and Khan really should have targeted Shay. They could have had a backup vote, in Brianna, split the votes, all it would have needed was two or three of their large majority alliance, and then you could have gotten rid of a player and an idol. Instead, you've got a very physical, brainy player who probably has the potential to go far in the game with good social relationships with an immunity idol, and you lost an obvious target. But it was well played by Khan, he got the outcome that he was after, he got rid of his enemy, and he made himself Look like the king that he is.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think this was a great episode for both Khan, but also for Shay. She did make great choices. You know, if it's everybody against Brianna and Shay, and then Brianna's gone, then like, are they really all going to go for Shay when she seems to be someone that gets along with people? She's really strong. Like, maybe they'll turn on each other instead of going for her. And I think that she probably had enough side conversations to know that she would
2: have some more options next time. I think it would have been an appealing to Shay because again, like there is that argument for idol versus ally. There is that argument in that I'm a shield for you. I'm a, I'm a friend to you. I'll give you information. Like we have this bond. You use a trinket on me. We'll find another trinket, but you can't find another me. Um, but I do think that Shay is responding to that with so much logic in just knowing what her game needed at that time. And I think to your point, George, about them splitting the vote, that would have made a lot of logical sense, but maybe speaks to that, just how much more they wanted Brianna out. Than Shay. Like they really wanted to keep Shay in the game. They weren't willing to risk her not playing her idol and then being sent out of the game. So I think maybe that speaks to Shay's other social bonds. So unfortunately for Brianna, she put a lot of eggs in the basket with Shay. She put a lot of eggs in trying to find idols and not being able to three different times. And unfortunately, that bond wasn't enough to keep her in the game. And that would have been her lifeline if she could do it.
0: Apart from getting her hands on that idol, do you think there was anything that Brianna could have done there to sort of save her skin?
3: I would never agree about being low-key at the start, Haley. although it is a legitimate strategy. I think what Brianna did wrong is she went out all guns blazing, but she never targeted the right people for the right reason. She should have gone up to Chrissy at the start, corralled an alliance of outcasts, and then targeted one of the big players. Target Mark, say he's going to go far in the game. Target Khan, say he's an incredible social player. But why would you target someone that is in the same category of ally as you? I think Brianna dug her own grave and she needed Macedonian Jesus and only him to save her.
1: Yeah, I kind of agree. Like besides running and trying to jump on that idol, some of the things that she, the mistakes that had already happened were kind of cemented, like calling Chrissy out, throwing names out there. You just want to get along and be kind of low key at the start. And because she'd already made a few of those mistakes, it was kind of hard to unwind them at that point.
0: So surprised, George, that you're not a fan of staying low-key early. I mean, it's not like you at all, you know? It's, um, yeah. Now, speaking of idols and playing them for other people, I want to get your insight, having played the game, Hayley. How hard is it to share the idol with someone else, even though you know it might make sense strategically, but there's always a sense that it could leave yourself vulnerable?
1: Yeah, I have had this exact experience. So I played an idol on Laura to make sure the minority could stay safe and majority member could go, even though we still wouldn't have the numbers after that. That was really hard to do because I knew we would still be in a minority and I wasn't going to be safe for the next vote. And I did it. I'm I'm glad I did it, but it's not an easy decision to make. And that was when we were quite far in the game and it was pretty clear where the relationships lied. This early, when you don't really know, we haven't been testing people very much through these tribal councils, to play an idol for someone else, I would find that very difficult to know if I was really playing that well. So, um, yeah, no no shade on all on Shay for not playing that. I think that that was the right decision for her to keep it.
3: I mean, when I saved Kara, I told myself I have the strongest ally no matter what. Here, and that's why I did that. But when I think back earlier on, Kara literally sacrificed herself to save me. And she did that on principle. She did that knowing that, you know, something could go wrong. You never know on Survivor. But it's, it's not an easy thing to do. Maybe just at the end of the day, Shay didn't think Brianna was worth saving. It could just be that simple.
0: So Khan and David had the opportunity for a very special, unique idol. Shannon, how powerful is having something like that in the game?
2: So the super idol is tremendously powerful. It is that get out of jail free card, but I really love it more when it's in this half-half capacity, because sometimes when you have a shared idol, you get to give it to someone. Uh, and you make that choice, and you have to put that trust in them, and they can screw you over. Or sometimes it's just totally random, like in season 32, which this idol is obviously based on, uh, Ty and Scott each found an idol randomly, they connected based on that, and then Scott put all of his trust in Ty to use the super idol, and Ty decided not to, which is why Scott went home in the most dramatic moment of that season. So while it is a trinket, it becomes about that connection and that relationship. and. David and Khan weren't forced into the situation. David actively chose Khan to be there, probably knowing Khan as, as a public figure and a likable public figure. But I feel like that relationship just went south so quickly and seems just really, really negative. So I guess it's maybe a lucky thing that that's not an option for them anymore because even if David still had that idol, I don't know that we would have seen it come to fruition and have these people who are not really on the same page uh, use it for a super idol together.
0: Guys, let's talk a little bit about the theme, blood versus water. Obviously, we saw it play out in a big way this week with emotions running high. Um, David and Kate found out their loved ones had been eliminated and dealt with it in different ways. From your perspective, was that the first time that we saw just how powerful this theme can be, Hayley?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It really can be a huge detriment to your game if you are blinded by revenge. And you're starting to make decisions that aren't in your best interest, but they are to get revenge on your child being voted out. I think especially the parents here are almost in the worst spot because, you know, Sandra and David really want to be protective of their child. Whereas like Nina and Brianna are like, I'd vote them out. So I think that they've got to be really careful to not let those emotions run too high that they start making mistakes.
0: Yeah, it's hard to keep a cool head when someone you love has left the competition. George, is that something you think you can harness or sometimes you think the the weight of what's happened might affect your gameplay? I think you have to play Survivor with as little
3: emotion as possible because when you get emotional, you make mistakes. So like Hayley said, if all that David is focusing on is getting revenge for Brianna, He's not going to go very far in the game. He needs to re-pivot, focus on the relationships he needs to survive and to just play the game. But it's blood versus water. What's going to distinguish the players that go far in this game are the ones that are willing to do what it takes to get the job done.
1: And like, if you want to get the ultimate revenge on someone who has voted your loved one out, then befriend them. And if they happen to be the person who is going to let you sail to the end and win, Winning is the ultimate revenge. It's not trying to get them
2: voted out. And if anyone by US precedent was going to win based on their loved ones getting voted out, it would be David because we've seen people, obviously it didn't work for Kate, but in the US we've seen people whose loved ones went extremely early go on and win. So I do think that the best revenge is coming home with $500,000, but it is really difficult obviously to put those emotions aside. But I think that what is annoying for David right now is that he doesn't have anyone to connect to who also love, lost their loved ones. He needs to be looking out for whoever loses their loved ones on the water tribe next um, and then go and make them, you know, you're my new loved one now. You're my new connection now that I've lost my daughter in the game. So that's the strategy for people who start losing their loved ones early.
1: As Croc has said, when you find out your loved one's gone home is just before you're about to go into a challenge, often a physical one. So it can give you some fire in your belly to add that adrenaline for you to go through and win that challenge. And we kind of saw that with David. He found out Brianna had gone home and then they worked really hard and won that challenge. So it does give you a bit of fire in your belly.
0: George, were there any other moments there that, that sort of highlighted how different this season is in terms of gameplay when you've got someone you love and really care about it in there with you? Look, it's, it's, it's hard because you've
3: got to love and care about your allies, What matters in Survivor are the people around you that you mutually benefit from? You all need to progress together. And particularly at the start of the game, it is not an individual game. If you're playing a me game, you're going to get voted out like Joey did. So it's hard when you lose a loved one, but you've got to focus on what matters. And that is staying in the game.
0: We talk a lot about, you know, you can't get emotional, like you just have to be level-headed, you have to make smart decisions. But what's the reality, Haley, out there when you're hungry and you're tired and you, in this scenario, have got all the emotions of playing near someone you really care about? What's the reality of not making emotional decisions?
1: Yeah, it would be great to be a survivor robot, but the reality is it's not easy to do that. And Look, players who seem to do well socially happen to be quite empathetic, caring people, and those people are going to be really upset when their loved ones are voted out. And, you know, maybe you know it's kind of good for your game um, potentially, but still you've been preparing with this person, you share family and friends and memories, and you know that that has been taken from them. So it's going to take a really astute A clear headed individual to put that to the side and just keep focusing on playing the game. It's not easy.
0: Yeah, it's going to play out in a whole heap of fascinating ways over the next few weeks, I'm sure. Can't go any further without talking about Chrissy. Uh, Hard to miss this week. Big character, kind of oblivious to how to play the game, but there's a lot of lovable moments from her this week. George, uh, we spoke, I think. At our very first app, about the fact that in your season you had a few people who didn't really know how to play the game, is that a pro in some elements because you're not over analysing it? How do you think it's going to play out for Chrissy?
3: I think Chrissy truly is one of a kind. We have never ever seen a Survivor player like Chrissy before. I know that the boys were saying that, but she truly is a gem. And the more you polish Chrissy, the better she gets. I want to hang out with her. I want to go to her Botox and filler clinic with her in Noosa. And I just want to have some drinks with her. And when you talk about what is valuable in Survivor, it's a character like her. It's someone you want to keep around because she's a delight. She makes you laugh. That's who I'd want to work with. And I'm sure that the other castaways on the Water Tribe are thinking like that as well. I'm so excited by Chrissy. She's just so entertaining.
1: Yeah I've got to agree Chrissy has been so much fun to watch. Normally I would think you know if you're a fan and you know the game it might be better for you at the start but Chrissy being so oblivious to tribunal or like how anything even works do we have to vote really? (laughs) I love it it's so funny to watch and I actually think it could be a real strength for her at this stage of the game because she's not really threatening like if you don't really know how the game works like I can't imagine I would be fearful she's going to be pulling votes together and orchestrating a blind side. Now, that's not to say she can't learn quickly and do that at some point, but it just means that if I'm on the beach right now, I'm not too worried about Chrissy. So that is a big strength for her.
0: Shannon, we've seen players like this actually get a fair way along in the game because no one sees them as a threat. People think they can sort of drag them along towards the last few votes. I mean, it's actually a a pretty powerful position to be in, whether she knows it or not.
2: Yeah, I mean, it can be tricky earlier on, especially in like an old woman demographic. I think about Tara from Australian Survivor 2017. She made it through the pre-merge due to some twists as well. But I think I could see Chrissy bobbing along for quite a while. And then once she hits merge, I feel like everyone will kind of want to use her lack of knowledge of the game. At that point, she may have come into her own, but then she's pretty much long for the end game, I think, and we often do see that shift. So I think if Chrissy can really socially integrate now and make it through several more votes and not really have to worry as much, hopefully about the physical side of things, like she definitely, I don't know, I can somehow see Chrissy like at the very end of the game, but I don't know why Um, I can just see it.
3: (laughs) Let's look at what Chrissy did. Her enemy was Brianna. She stuck in the knife and she got her voted out. She might not have done a lot of survivor-specific preparation, but she's getting all the survivor elements of the game right. She's extremely likeable. She's fun around camp and she's getting rid of her targets. She's two out of two.
0: Someone else who's extremely likeable and emerging as a bit of a power player is our new survivor royalty, King Khan, very strong, great social game. He's proved to be very observant as well. I mean, he is going to be one to watch for sure.
2: Yeah, I think Khan, it's been spoken about the things that he's doing right. He has great connections. He's very switched on. He's very, very smart. My only concern for Khan is that he thinks he's being underestimated as just the likable chef, but people are aware of the skills he brings to the point where he is being called king. So while I think he's playing a really, really good game so far and was definitely the architect of the Brianna move and would completely claim that move, I think that kind of unlike Nina, people are onto it in a way that is a little concerning for me this early on. So that's just a little bit of a red flag for me.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I think that Khan is playing really well. I'm enjoying watching Khan certainly the threat level is rising and it is apparent on the, on in camp. I will commend though, like that um, decision to come back with the idol and just say, look, guys i have got an idol was, I think smart because they're going to think it anyway. If you don't say it, they're going to think you're sneaky and they'll think you have an idol. And by saying it, you know, it does bring a bit of trust. People think, oh, I can work with you. Yeah. So I think that was a smart move by Khan this week.
0: What about Sandra? She's managed to lay low in the first few episodes, which you think would be almost impossible for someone of her stature. How has she managed to do that, George? And is this obviously a strategy that she's come out with from the get-go? Sandra's biggest hurdle in this game was the start of the game. The
3: longer she's in it, the more threatening she becomes. And what has impressed me about Sandra is she has not sat out a challenge once. We've had those moments at reward and immunity, We need two players from blood to sit out. She's not putting a hand up this time. She's done her homework about Australians and she knows that nobody likes quitters on Australian Survivor. And the highlight for Sandra for me was that giant smirk on her face when David was digging his own grave at Tribal Council. Sandra knows what matters on Survivor. You do have to hide in the shadow sometimes. And she's done it very well after episode three.
1: Totally agree. Sandra was so fun to watch. She is like the polar opposite of paranoia. She has nerves of steel. Like, obviously, everyone's going to think she's a threat at the start, but she knows if I just sit quietly, someone else is going to blow up their game at the start. And it's exactly what happened. I love when she got asked at Travel Council, what oh, do you think you might be a threat? And she's like, mm, It's possible. Like, of course, she's a threat. But she just doesn't let anyone think that she's worried one bit. And It's a massive strength of her game.
2: I also think she's spoken to the power of the relationships that she can create and what was the most important thing for her was her bond with Ben who gave her the information that her name was out there and then rallied the troops for her um, in ways that you know weren't going so well at first but she still has those connections to go to bat for her and to maybe if there's momentum against David to really kind of sink in with that and to protect her more. So the fact that she could vocalize that Ben would do her dirty work and it was true that that was happening, it just takes key connections like that to take her further in the game and she already has them. And yes, the the longer you leave her in the more powerful she will become.
1: I am joined by two time Australian Survivor player, super fan of the game, Andy Meldrum. Andy, thanks for
4: being here today. Hayley, it's a pleasure. And can I just say, from one superfan to another, if we're going to talk about someone's season, can we just talk about yours? Because, <laughs> oh my God, it, I have never enjoyed watching a season as much, certainly of Australian Survivor, and seeing a superfan's dreams come true the way they did for you last season was Honestly, it was it was as satisfying as it would have been for me to win, just seeing someone absolutely love it and have just the experience that everybody dreams about. So congratulations. It was incredible to watch and and truly gave me as much pleasure as the game ever had.
1: Oh, that is so nice. Thank you. I think we both know a lot of luck is involved. So I got there. So
4: (laughs) I've got to get better at the luck. (laughs)
1: I've got to work on that. So Andy, what was your goal coming back into Australian Survivor for a second time? Obviously winning, but in addition to that, what did you want to achieve?
4: Winning actually wasn't even a consideration, to be honest. I knew that probably, well, certainly my best chance and maybe my only chance of winning Survivor would be the first time I played. And part of that is because I was going in as a fan, but nobody knew I was a fan. So I was able to sort of, you know, keep certain things to myself. And I knew that if I, if I ever did play again, and I didn't really have any expectation of, of playing again, but if I ever did, I knew it would be really tough because I'd be going in with people knowing a lot more about me than you know, I perhaps knew about them. So when the call came along for, for Blood versus Water, the calculus was, was not, oh, hey, maybe here's my chance to win. It was almost 100%. Here's my opportunity to give a priceless gift to my sister who... Has devoted the last 13 years of her life to raising three incredible kids, who simply never would have had the time or the opportunity to apply for the show herself. And and here was a chance for me to to just kind of like you know give that to her as a gift. So so 100% of my motivation was was giving her that opportunity. And it's just a joy watching her out there and just the look on her face.
1: That is so cool. And knowing as well that you are both super fans of the game, um, it must've been such a special treat for her to, to be able to play.
4: Well, it, and, and what it really gives us is the opportunity to kind of share the experience. So, you know, we're, we're very close, like she lives around the corner. And so to actually just be able to reflect on Sandra Diaz getting out of a helicopter, and walking down on the mat, you know, whatever it is, you know, arriving at a challenge and sort of looking across, you know, are you okay? Is, yeah, I mean, those are memories that are just going to last a lifetime.
1: So on that, when you started the game, were you surprised to find out that you wouldn't be starting on the same tribe as Katie?
4: No, I mean, you know, we've all seen the US blood versus water season, so we had a pretty clear expectation of, of the way things would play out. We thought that they might follow the the full original BBW1 season format in the U.S. and actually have, you know, a, a Redemption Island kind of component for all of the, the vote outs. Sadly, that wasn't the case because maybe I could have tried my hand at some challenges, so work my way back in, but I win them all. Damn, and they
1: would have been throwing, so you would have won as well. So that...
4: <laughs> as long as it wasn't the one you had at Redemption <laughs> Rock, because yeah. if you and I had walked out to that one, I would have just said congratulations. <laughs> uh, I'll see you on the outside.
1: And do you think that you would have stayed in the game longer if you had been on the same tribe as Kate at the very start?
4: So maybe. And here's why. And, and this is something, I, like, I've never talked about this publicly before, I, I guess, but, but, you know, now that, you know, Survivor's all done and everything else, and, and it sort of came up in, in the episode. So Kate obviously knows me very well, like, better than anyone else on it. And, and so one of the things she knows about me is that I, so I have mild Asperger's. So what's what's sort of referred to now as autism spectrum disorder. And so that sort of it that sort of poses some interesting challenges in the game of survivor. In particular with sort of like group environments of strangers, that's sort of like it's kind of a tough environment for me because it's hard for me to quickly form social connections with with a lot of people and, and particularly like with, with a lot of strangers. And and I think you know, Nina last night. I think one of the things she picked up on, like she, I think her words, you know, she felt I I wasn't genuine, and so she would have been picking up on on some of the nonverbal cues of me, you know, maybe like feeling a little anxious or not being able to hold eye contact. Yeah, just just little things that that I know are, are present in me in in that sort of environment, and that yeah, one of the ways people read that is yeah, someone's like, you know, shifty or not genuine or, or maybe aloof. But, you know, those are the sort of things, things you sort of get. So I think if, if Kate had been on the same tribe as me, one of the things she could have done is is sort of, you know, explain to other people, hey, look, Andy's like a little bit like this, you know, particularly, you know, sort of when you first meet him and, and maybe that would have helped. So, yeah, in that sense, yeah, maybe.
1: Yeah, if that makes sense. It is so tough at the start when everyone's trying to make decisions based on very little and so they're taking all those cues.
4: So that would make it really difficult. I can see that.
1: Yeah. What was your favourite moment of the time that you did spend in this season?
4: Wow, my favourite moment. I'd have to say, I think, standing on the mat with with my sister Kate, Sandra and Nina getting out of the helicopter and sort of, you know, walking down the rocks and realising that wow like just a look on Kate's face and you know we were sort of hugging and she's going oh my god that's that's Sandra I think like the whole thing sort of hit her in that moment and so yeah just kind of seeing and and feeling that joy was yeah it was pretty amazing.
1: I cannot imagine what that must feel like that would have been incredible. <laughs> so when you did start on the tribe um who did you feel like you were closest to and what is it that drew you to them?
4: Yeah I so I think I said in the episode, I, like, I really, really loved this tribe. I, I almost couldn't imagine a better tribe set up for me. You know, had had I sort of, you know, been able to, yeah, just sort of spend a little, little longer there and and sort of get to know people. But I love Mark. I, you know, I think Mark and I have actually like sort of quite a bit in common. We're we're both kind of introverted, so you know, I, I definitely saw him as someone I could have worked with, and I, you know, obviously he he voted me out, but. Personally, like I would never have voted for him. Like he would have been one of the last people I would have voted for because, you know, I would have seen him as a as good protection, you know, for me going sort of further in the game. And and I think there was an opportunity maybe for returning players to kind of stick together and and watch one another's backs. But so so yeah, Mark definitely. KJ, I just loved as well. Just a a really really sort of you know down to earth, lovely lovely person. So I would have loved to work with her. Josh, I loved also. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the, I, the hardest thing on that tribe was finding someone to cast a vote for at that first tribal council. I've never experienced this before, you know, in, you know, I've been in a few different tribe iterations, but there was not a single person that I wanted to cast a vote for on that tribe.
1: Yeah, that makes it tough because normally you're expecting there's some easy vote at the start.
4: Yeah. Yeah, well, well that, that was me, but you're not allowed to vote for yourself. So. <laughs>
1: no, no, never it never looks like that. so looking back how do you feel about the way that you did play the game this time around
4: well I I think I went into this game with a with kind of a very relaxed attitude in some ways in that as I said I I had no expectation of of playing again and actually let let me tell you a story so I used to live in the US and when I was over there I you know was able to sort of you know hang out a little bit in the survivor fan community over there and so you know i like go to events and things. And, and so one of the players I got to know, who's one of my favourite players of all time, is a guy called Rob Setsonino, who you might remember from Survivor Amazon and, and Survivor all stuff. I was at a, actually at a, an after party after one of the finales of the, of the US seasons. And you know Rob and I were having a beer at the bar and I was trying to convince him to, to come and play again because obviously he hasn't played since season eight in the US. And they've asked him back numerous times and he's always been sort of really wary about going back because he he went out first you know the second time he played you know so first from his tribe and what i said to him i'm a huge fan so i'd just love to see him play again and what i said to him was you know what just go out with zero expectations expect to go out first like have that as your baseline expectation and anything beyond that is just a huge bonus and and i think that'll sort of change your perspective on it because going out early in his second season i think really you know, it it sort of hit him pretty hard because he had high expectations and that's made it hard for him to contemplate going back again. And so that, you know, that advice that I was trying to give him, I actually really, really took to heart myself in, in going out this time. And so I really, you know, I said to a lot of people, we probably went out, look, the most likely finishing position for me is probably first out because of, you know, the way my character was sort of like portrayed last time, it it would be natural for people to be wary of of working with me. And I think that really, really helped because I I genuinely just went out and thought, you know what, whatever happens, happens. And of course I had the the massive added bonus of the fact that my sister was going to be out there and having the opportunity to play her game. So yeah, I was very, very easygoing about the whole thing. Yeah, compared to someone like, Like Mark and Sam, where you see, you know, all their pregame footage and they're really treating this as a mission. And I mean, you know, kudos to them. They're approaching it very, very seriously. Whereas, yeah, I think I was a lot more relaxed about the whole thing.
1: That makes sense. That feels like a very safe way to enter the game.
4: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Zero expectations. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: How does it feel then knowing that your sister Kate did end up going out shortly after you did?
4: So that was really sad. So... That, that was way, way harder to take than, than me going out early. You know, like I, you know, I had my chance the first time, but this is her you know, first and only opportunity to play this game. And I think a player like Kate, the trick with, with that type of player, you know, like a peer, Miranda, for example, is you sort of have to get through those first few votes where people might be sort of targeting the, the less physically adept players. And if you can get through that phase of the game, then someone like Kate potentially becomes, you know, like a really valuable number and alliance member and someone who's, you know, potentially non-threatening. So, yeah, it was was such a shame she, she sort of wasn't able to, yeah, maybe just sort of sneak through another couple of tribal councils.
1: Andy, you are a huge fan of Survivor. So how did it feel seeing sandra step off the chopper knowing that you are now going to have to play against sandra and her protege nina
4: seeing sandra and nina come down those rocks was i mean it's a real pinch yourself moment as a as a survivor fan i mean i i've obviously been a fan of the show for a long time and would you believe on a on a trip through central america in i don't know 2005 or something I actually made my way out to the Pearl Islands off the coast of Panama to see where Pearl Islands was shot and and where they shot all-stars as well. So I I sort of hired a local fisherman to take me out of his boat to the beaches where the tribes were set up and checked out all the old challenge locations, snuck into the tribal council sets and everything else. So I guess I have some sort of affinity for, for Sandra, given that that's where she took down her first victory. So, yeah, to, to know that they were going to be out there playing with us was, was a huge thrill for both Kate and I. And to be targeted early on by the daughter of the Queen, yeah, that's the sort of taking things full circle in my Survivor journey. I see that.
1: As a fan, like, did you see that there was 11 pairs and think, where's the other pair? I figured you would have thought that.
4: As we were being lined up to, to walk down out onto the mat, Kate and I were at the back. And so we were able to easily count the number of players out there and yeah, it was pretty quick math to figure out that there were two players missing. We knew something strange was going on.
1: Yeah. We see that you take a bit of a leadership role in camp. How did it feel watching that back?
4: That's a funny one. I, I think Survivor's gone a little bit full circle on the, on the whole camp leadership thing in that in the early days, it was sort of pretty common for, you know someone to step up and take a leadership role and for that person to then sort of you know be targeted for being a leader it then got to the point where everybody knew well no one wants to be the leader and so you know, nobody takes on a leadership role i think we've sort of almost gone full circle now where everyone knows that nobody wants to be the leader but so everyone knows that somebody kind of has to and i don't know if you recall in in season four the, the first season i played i did stand back when we were building the shelter and that led to maybe the worst shelter in Australian survivor history that was built four feet off the ground and collapsed on top of us in the middle of the night so this time I thought you know what I actually really like building shelters so yeah somebody has to take the lead and I was kind of more than happy to as I said I was I was just pretty chill you know coming into this game. So, we had to get a shelter built. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, and it was it's great for Mark to be able to say, "Hey, fine, you know, we'll push someone else into the leadership role." But, yeah, somebody kind of has to get a shelter built. The the other tribe apparently didn't build a shelter at all, and it was it wasn't wasn't much fun. So, yeah, so I was glad we got something up to uh, give us a bit of protection.
1: Yeah, I could imagine if you felt threatened sleeping before without a shelter. <laughs>
4: It's definitely no fun when your shelter collapses in the middle of the night and it's raining and it's windy. It was a memorable night, but but yeah, this is, this is a pretty nice shelter. Apparently, it sort of held up pretty well.
1: Everyone seems to really be liking Alex. How does it feel looking back knowing that you were part of an, an attack against Alex when he seems to be so popular?
4: Yeah, so that, that, was a, that was a funny one. So, I mean, a few things there. Alex is absolutely lovely and in normal circumstances i would have had no desire to to vote alex out but alex was was in a really bad way on that uh on that second day so I, i think in the episode they kind of it looked like he was kind of limping into the challenge but what they didn't show is that he he had to literally be carried the entire way from camp out to you know transport the challenge and back So that the limping bit, like that was the absolute best condition he was in. I mean, he was literally carried on people's backs for kilometers. So he was physically incapable of walking. And we didn't know what was wrong with him. We didn't know, you know, whether, you know, he'd done, you know, something serious to his back, whether it was just spasms or, you know, whether it was a serious muscle sprain or or whatever else. So we, when you're in a situation like that and you think there's a, a legitimate chance that someone may either be you know, removed from the game for medical reasons or may have to quit the game for medical reasons, potentially the next day, it's, yeah, you're sort of in this tough spot where you think, well, do we really want to vote someone else out and then potentially lose a player the next day when, yeah, we could have just sort of voted Alex out? So... It was it was a tough one given the the condition he was in. He yeah, I mean he wouldn't have been my my first choice to to vote for, but it was one of those things.
1: Yeah. I know the feeling of kind of assuming that you need to keep the tribe strong at the start and if someone's injured, what are you gonna do? And then it's really hard to see a blindside coming when it seems like there is an obvious vote.
4: Yeah, that's that's right. And and look, and it the other funny thing is that my my plan, such as it was, wasn't even for Alex to necessarily go home anyway. So the, just, you know, in the conversations we had about, you know, who we might vote for, you know, obviously people knew that Chrissy had found something, which we assumed was was an idle clue. And, but she sort of, you know, hadn't been upfront with anyone about that or with, with certain people. And so, yeah, the, the plan, such as it was, was to, you know, to know that we had to split. And so, yeah, the intended split was on Alex and Chrissy such that, Alex would well and then potentially a tie and then you know for other people to decide you know who of the two they wanted to go home depending on whether whether Chrissy played an idol
1: yeah I can see that sounds like a good plan
4: <laughs> good good in theory I'm I'm very good in theory it's just the actual like out bit that I'm not very good at
1: so we have a lot of people left in the game still who do you think is the biggest threat
2: right now
4: I think everything I've seen of Mark and Sam in their, their pregame stuff. And then, you know, seeing the way Mark was, was sort of, you know, willing to approach that, that first vote suggests that they are really, really here to play. And they obviously have experienced the game before. I think, I think the fact that they both went out relatively early in their first season has left them with a real hunger to sort of come back. And it's been a long time, you know, with season two, so it's been quite a few years. So, I, yeah, it's hard for me to go past one of those two at the moment.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that when you return, depending on how you exited the previous season, um, kind of influences how threatening you are in the new one. Yeah. So people might have looked at how you exited your first one and thought, oh, I'm not sure, um, but then they went out and pre-merge and maybe that makes them less threatening. So
4: it's interesting. I think I think that's right, yeah. Yeah, the, the other thing that was interesting, I, I sort of I hadn't put two and two together at the time, but... But, uh, you know, it was Henry who was responsible for for Mark's uh, exit the first time around. And it sort of occurred to me afterwards, it would be pretty natural that Mark might view me as a little bit of a of a Henry type player because of the way I was sort of portrayed in the, the first season. So that was probably like a little bit of the impetus to saying, okay, I'm not going to get caught out again. Yeah. Yeah. People really don't want to have the same mistake happen twice. That That's right. Exactly. Yeah, for sure.
1: And I know we are early days still, but who do you think is going to take out the crown for Soul
4: Survivor? <laughs> well, much as much as I would love to see Sandra kind of get the first triple crown in Survivor history, I'd be surprised if the Australian players would, would ever be willing to let her get to the end. So, yeah, if, if it's not one of Mark or Sam, then I think, I think Josh could be a real chance too because he's a super smart guy, I think, you know, very socially capable, physically strong too. So, yeah, he might be my little dark horse.
1: Nice. I like that. Andy, thank you so much for chatting to us. It's been a joy to see you on the screen and we look forward to the rest of the
4: season. You're super welcome, Hailey. <laughs>